I want to introduce Dr. Paul Zimkevich. She's a professor at West Virginia University, and we're going to be talking about rare earth elements and uh, efforts to clean up coal mines around the state of West Virginia and all kinds of interesting stuff. We are in Monongalia County. We are outside of what? An old closed down. It's not an abandoned mine, but it's a mine that's been closed for how long? Oh, probably 16, 17 years. Okay. And a lot of folks would look at this and say there's not much value in an old coal mine. They're not mining coal anymore, but uh, uh, within recent years, there's been a discovery of something that's a byproduct from these mines that is uh, potentially very beneficial to the economy and the environment. I want to talk about rare earth elements. First of all, um, tell us your title and the organization you work for at WVU. I'm the director of the West Virginia Water Research Institute at WVU. It's part of the WVU Energy Institute. I wanted to put the Water Research Institute out there because you guys are involved in treating water and people look at, they look at what does coal have to do with water? Well, a lot. So um, the bottom line here is you guys are trying to extract what are known as rare earth elements. First of all, what are they and what are they used for and why, why is there such a benefit here? Yeah, the rare earth elements are a, a group of elements in the periodic table that are, they're not particularly rare but they, they just don't form concentrations that are particularly useful in a, in a mining sense. Copper, for example, it's easy to find copper concentrations because there are natural volcanic processes and other things that will cause con uh, concentrations that are economically attractive. Rares generally don't do that. There are very few minerals that contain enriched rare earth elements, so finding them in, 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 in a spot where nature has concentrated them is an extremely difficult proposition. I've done some research on this and fast forward to 2019, I had no idea rare earth elements are critical elements in cell phones, computers, magnets, defense department components. How critical are these to our economy and, and is that why you guys are out here trying to find them? Well, yeah, for example, in order to make high strength, high temperature resistant aluminum alloys, for example, you need scandium. Scandium is one of the rare earths. And uh, an F-35 fighter may have a couple hundred tons of scandium in it. So if we, didn't have, if we didn't have a supply of scandium, we wouldn't be making our high performance aircraft. Turbine blades, high performance, high temperature, high strength turbine blades are also aluminum scandium alloys. And that's just one example. I want to talk about the, the big picture economic aspect of this because a lot of folks would look at this mine behind us and say it's been closed down for 20, 30 years. There's no economic benefit. There's no more coal to take out of there. And all of a sudden we're finding something and it's a byproduct of the water that goes through the mines that uh, is where the rare earth elements wind up. Uh, how important is this economically, not just to West Virginia, but the entire coal mining um, industry in this country? Well, potentially. Significant, very significant. It, the, the important thing about the rare earth elements is that you've already done all the hard work. You've mined the coal, you've aerated the mines, you've created all the processes that are necessary to generate acid mine drainage. Acid mine drainage has sulfuric acid in it. Sulfuric acid leaches, leaches, dissolves the rare earth elements out of the surrounding rock, like the rock on either side of the coal seam that you see over here behind you. All of that contains rare earth elements, and if you, if you didn't have a natural source of acid, you'd have to import it. And then, and then you could dissolve the rare earth elements. But here you have nature doing that for you in a process that's a, a, that is otherwise an environmental liability that someone has to pay to clean up. And here we're getting it for free while cleaning up the water. And you have to clean up the water to make it, uh, to make it uh, well, dischargeable so it doesn't ruin the stream. So you have to knock the uh, metals out. And while you're doing that, you're also taking out the rare earths. Thank you.
the economic or the environmental benefit of extracting this stuff from the sludge that's in abandoned and closed mines. The main, uh, mainly it incentivizes people to treat acid mine drainage. Right now, if you treat acid mine drainage, you're just losing money. It, you may keep yourself uh, from going out of compliance with the law, but you're not recovering any revenue in the process. If we can recover revenue while treating acid mine drainage, people would be incentivized not only to recover rare earths from their own discharges, but maybe find some other discharges that are abandoned, that have no owners, no one treating them, and start treating those. You were telling me earlier as we were touring the property and we we're at an old Omega site here yeah. in, in Montegalia County that the water would come down and then, you know, flow down the hill and so forth. And eventually it would go into creeks in the area and it would go in with contaminants and pollutants in it, correct? That's correct. And this is a way to mitigate that and to stop that from happening in clean waters and streams around the state of West Virginia. And acid mine drainage knocks out more miles of otherwise healthy streams than any other pollutant in the state, all the other ones combined. Yeah. Approximately how many of these facilities do we have around West Virginia and do we need more and not just West Virginia, Appalachia in terms of trying to get the rare earth elements but also clean the environment too? Well right now we don't have any that are dedicated to treating uh, the recovering rare earth elements. We're working on that. But we have hundreds, hundreds if not thousands of treatment sites, uh, acid mine drainage treatment sites in the state. You testified before Congress, obviously at a national level, our members of Congress are very interested in this. Um, talk about that. Well, the United States imports almost all of its rare earth elements from the People's Republic of China or foreign countries. And given the fact that these have very high uh, defense industry uh, applications, uh, they're necessary for uh, our, our fighters, our turbine blades, high performance magnets, and our economy in general, and just in, in the sense of keeping those a, a domestic supply or nurturing a domestic supply of these rare earth elements is, is critical. Uh, for example, the Japanese fought World War II to a large extent. They invaded the, the, uh, the Dutch East Indies to get oil because they didn't have a supply of oil. We cut off their supply of oil and we also uh, cut off their supply of scrap iron. That had a lot to do with starting World War II. We don't want to be in that position again. Well, speaking of cutting off supplies, the Chinese have threatened in the ongoing trade tensions between the U.S. and China of stopping all exports of rare earth elements to the United States. Is that another uh, alarm bell sounding that we have to find our own elements in this country, our own domestic sources? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the Department of Energy recognizes that, and that's why they've been funding these programs to develop domestic supplies of rare earth elements with a lot of our congressional delegation's support for the last three years now. And we're just getting to the point where we've identified them and started to work out the economics of recovering them. Yeah. I got to hold up my cell phone here. I mean, there are rare earth elements in here. I mean, how many are in here and how critical are they to the, we're so dependent on the phones now and the computers and everything else, yet we don't know what's really in there. And this is, this is a good illustration of it. It is actually, uh, and Apple wanted to uh, make the iPhone 10 in the United States originally, but they went to the Chinese suppliers of rare earths and said, well, can you guarantee us a supply for our new iPhone? And they said, no, not really. But if you make the iPhone 10 in China, we can guarantee us uh, your rare earth supply. And so the rare iPhone 10 is made in the People's Republic of China, along with uh, the technology that went into it is now being used by Chinese manufacturing companies. Last question, could this revitalize coal communities in Appalachia that uh, were mining operations have shut down and the coal economy has become depressed? Does this give us a reason to go back in there and extract these elements and maybe rebuild some of that economy? I can't say that for sure right now. I, I would be surprised if you're gonna see the same volume of revenue come out of rare earths as, as we saw coming out of coal in the first place. But uh, it will certainly uh, 
diversify the, uh, the revenue stream coming into coal mining co companies. Uh, so when the market's down, rare earths may be up. What you want to do if you're running a big corporation is have diversified revenue streams. Yeah. So this helps you do that. So it may keep some mines operating um, and certainly encourages people to treat acid mine drainage. Yeah. This is a fascinating discussion. Again, we want to thank Dr. Paul Zimkevich from uh, West Virginia University spearheading this operation and research. It's fascinating. We know going forth into the future, this is going to be a big deal. We'll keep our eye on the story. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. We'll have more of Inside West Virginia Politics after this break. Stay with us. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Capitol Hill with Senator Joe Manchin. Senator, thank you so much for being here with well, us. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it. And obviously, you are not alone on Capitol Hill today. Miners from West Virginia, Virginia, and Kentucky coming in. How was it to meet with some of these people? Well, they come in quite often to see me because we've been working for over three years now on the pensions, health care, and now black lung. And it seems like the administration keeps attacking the people they keep saying they want to help. And I'm just saying, listen, the coal miner is the salt of the earth, okay? They basically provided the energy that's kept this country free, and um, we all take for granted all the hard work and sacrifices have been done. Safety for coal miners first and foremost, as far as I'm concerned. But also, they're only asking for what they've worked for and paid for, which is pensions and their health care. For every ton of coal that was removed from the price of the coal, they didn't take that money home, they put it in that fund. It was completely uh, evaporated. And then on top of that, that insult to injury, last year they cut the black lung fund, the money going in, $1.10 for every ton of coal down to 55 cents. You would have assumed that they would have found a cure for black lung. That was the question, says, do we have a cure? No, not at all, they just wanted to cut the fund. And I said, we got more people contracting at younger ages that's gonna have more need for services than ever before, and you're cutting the amount of funds that we have and ability to help them. Makes no sense at all, it was just callous what they did. Now Republicans tell me that the fund will remain funded throughout the next year, it just depends on who will ultimately pay for it. Do you think it's fair that this could end up being a burden on the taxpayers instead of the coal companies? Let me just say this, the coal miners have never asked for the taxpayers to pay for anything they receive. They've worked for it, they've negotiated, it was always there, okay? And the black lung, it was paid out of the coal that's mined. Why are they going to shift that now to the burden of the taxpayers when the coal that's mined, and it's never, we've been able to do this for years, all of a sudden now we can't? I don't see why prices are higher now, they've been for a long time. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all to take the approach they've taken because if you're going to fix the black lung and find a cure for this disease and prevent people from contracting it, you're going to have to have the funds for research and development also for cure. If you're going to have pensions and health care, then you're going to have to basically make sure that the miners get in line first and not behind the bankruptcy courts that basically puts the financial institutions first. This is a never, uh, never ending revolving door and we've got to stop it sooner or later. We've got enough votes on the floor. If Mitch McConnell would just put it and let us vote, it will pass, and we will fix this problem for our miners. And you're obviously talking about the, the American Miners Act, American uh, Miners Act which yes. covers not only the Black Loan Fund, but pensions and also health care with some of these companies that some are going- Some companies recently just went bankrupt, Miss Moreland and some about 1,200 miners. And we're, this covers them, because basically they've gotten caught in the same quagmire that we all got caught in. We're trying to prevent that from happening. We're trying to stop it. 
but you've got to cure what's already happened. People lose, lose their health care. I mean, that's everything to them. They lose their pension. The average miner's pension is less than $600. And most of these are widows. The miners have passed on. This is their family left behind. That's a very small substance for them to be able to exist on. And take that away, and it's going to be very harmful to the families and also to the surrounding economy. I know the coal miners came to see you today. They also went to see other lawmakers mm -hmm. as well. Do you think they made a difference making the sure. trip here? It makes a difference every time they come. They're now having a roundtable we're having right this time. And that roundtable basically has people from West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky, and Ohio. That's all the coal mining areas in our surrounding area. for being here with us. Well, thank you for having us. What do you think the biggest message you would like to tell lawmakers? Obviously, miners are facing quite a few problems, but today, specifically, what do you want lawmakers to walk away from these meetings with? Well, you need to listen to these voices. These are the voices of your constituents. Uh, they're sick. Uh, they're retired. They're wanting their black lung benefits. Uh, they want their pensions that they've earned. They got sick in these mines. The government said, we'll take care of you if you get pneumoconiosis. Said that back in 1969. Took 156 years to get there. Uh, but this program has been a nightmare uh, for anyone trying to get benefits. And it's been a nightmare occasionally for people who get uh, apply for these benefits and can't get them. And now we see a terrible rise in the cases of the most severe cases of pneumoconiosis. Uh, young miners being sick. We've got to do something about this. We see it. We know what it is. We know what causes it. We need to use a little bit of common sense here on this Capitol Hill and promulgate a rule for silica. If we have a rule for silica outside the mines, surely we need a rule inside the mines to protect the coal miners of this country, which are developing the worst cases of pneumoconiosis because of silica. The other thing is the funding will run out at some point in time for this Black Lung Benefit Program. The tax needs to be reinstated and Congress needs to act immediately to do that. And obviously one of the biggest issues is the fact that the corporate coal tax was cut down. Uh, a lot of House Republicans are saying that the Black Lung Fund will still be funded. Do you still have concerns even when they do say that? Well, uh, it's not being funded as we speak to the level it needs to be. It's going to have a $15 billion deficit by 2050. That tells me at some point in time we'll have people standing up on the congressional floor saying we cannot run this deficit anymore, we can no longer afford this program, and sick miners are going to pay the penalty for that. Do you, I've heard from so many miners who say that they feel like they've been left behind. Uh, is that the message that you're seeing too, that they, these miners feel like they've been left behind from the people here in Washington. Well, I think that's a, that's the case with many miners who are here today fighting for their pensions, which has been a nine-year fight. Been fighting for black lung benefits 
all their lives, either trying to convince a judge that they're sick when they have all this evidence indicating that, and it's a nightmare when the companies hire all these attorneys and spend all this money to deny benefits to minors. The program hasn't worked well. The coal companies still determine whether or not there's dust in their coal mines. That's self-policing and that never works and it's never been allowed in the first place. It's time to end that. Put this testing in the hands of the government agency charged with protecting coal miners and that's MSHA. Are, are you hearing from lawmakers, is this making a difference, seeing these coal miners, seeing them sick mm -hmm. and hearing their stories? Well, here's the thing that I know in my lifetime. There's two or three different kinds of power. Power comes from holding office, power comes from having lots of money, and power comes from the bottom up sometimes when enough people say we're not putting up with this any longer. Don't look any further than Puerto Rico if you don't believe that. Look at the, at the Pittston strike if you don't believe that. Look at the 93 strike that we had if you don't believe that. Power comes from the bottom up sometimes. Now, we are on Capitol Hill, so we have to at least touch on the 2020 presidential <laughs> election, obviously. Um, are there any of the candidates that you believe will have, have the unions back, specifically in the Democratic Party, because that's a party who has seemed to move a little bit away from their union roots that they previously held? At one time, the, the Democratic Party was known as the party of working folks, and it's not always identified as such now. I would like to see the Democratic Party return to that position. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local, and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling, and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Inside West Virginia Politics is a Star Media Group production. Hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Produced and edited by Stephen F. Hoffman III, John Bobango, Stephen Shaw, Craig Poole, Rick Johnson, and Micah J. Carpenter. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.